This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Um, just, I wanted to make mention of a couple things. How many of you enjoyed our youth service last Sunday? We had a great time. Absolutely love our students and what our youth ministry accomplishes. I gotta tell you, I like confetti cannons on Sunday. I'm considering like installing them different places and, and just occasionally if somebody ever falls asleep, not that anyone ever falls asleep when I'm preaching, but I just have like a trigger system up here and I can like explode some confetti cannons, wake some people up. I thought that was fantastic. And, and once again, I just want to add my comments um, to John about our youth retreat, uh, parents of high school students. If your students are kind of on the fence or they don't want to go to the retreat, let me push you over the fence. Let me push them over the fence and give you my, it's not a money back guarantee, but it is a pastor guarantee that your students will have a great time. It is a fantastic weekend. We've never had a student come back. We've been doing this for 11 years. Never had a student come back and be like, that sucked, it was terrible. We never had that. It's only the kids that have never gone will tell you that. The kids that go have an amazing time. Don't let your students miss it. Listen to me, parents. All right, it's going to be a fantastic time. It's going to be, don't, if they're like, I don't really want to go, hey. Pastor says you should go, blame me, it's my fault, but they'll enjoy it once they go, all right? Um, one other thing I wanted to make mention of, we, we saw um, Hurricane Patricia hit Mexico in the last couple days, and I just want to let you know that Samaritan's Purse, the organization, disaster relief organization that we support every month here at the church, is already uh, viewing the situation there in Mexico and sort of formulating a response. So I just want to let you know that we have a part to play in that. Um, when Samaritan's Purse will get on the ground there in Mexico, um, our giving on a monthly basis will go uh, towards that. We're actually going to show you a video in the next couple of weeks about some of the work Samaritan's Purse does around the world. We know shoeboxes is coming up, but they also do a lot of other disaster relief and things helping around the world, and we will show you some of the things that they are doing. All right, this is week two of our series that we started actually two weeks ago called The Resistance. So let's turn our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, and then um, we started out two weeks ago, just to remind you, the message is available uh, for free on our website or on our podcast, just this whole idea Uh, And we're going to be unpacking it for the next few weeks, just about resisting that. A lot of times in life that we will go through life and, uh, you know, as we grow up, maybe as we're teenagers, and I gave you a story about that, how sometimes we maybe like to resist the rules or we like to resist authority. And it just becomes a practice that we get into. We just kind of, you know, take the other side just because our parents believe it or think it. And so automatically we believe the other side of that just to cause conflict and, and argue and stuff like that as we grow up. And then even as we get older, sometimes we, we, we resist the rules that are posted in stores and, and a lot of different places, and we just get mad because we, you know, we just automatically think about resisting the rules. And the, unfortunately, sometimes we go ahead and do the same thing with God, that we resist God's authority or we resist God's ways. But God doesn't want us to be resisting his ways and his thoughts and his words and his plans for our life. But he wants us to be resisting the enemy. First uh, Peter chapter 5 verse 8 says this. Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So week one, we really talked about and focused on this idea of resisting temptation. That we saw that Jesus had to resist temptation, we have to resist temptation. And we said the biggest thing involved with us um, as, it re- as it relates to resisting temptation is not so uh, we just won't feel religious guilt or uh, if I'm going to feel guilty if I do this. That ultimately what the enemy is after with us and getting us to... Uh, Giving, give in to temptation. Give in to all of these desires that we have and, and take these desires to an extreme level and then make our lives all about these desires that we have, physical desires and desires of the eyes. And if we take those sometimes that are actually good things and we take them to the extreme, then we get off track in life. 
And so it's not that, it's just this idea of religious guilt and if we, if we sin, then we'll be guilty and all these different things. But that the enemy is ultimately after your purpose. That if he can move you off of your purpose in life, as it relates to family life and work life and all the different areas that we live, that he can move us off our purpose, he can make our life meaningless. Because we're just all about temptation and we're all about sin. That God is interested in walking in his ways, not so that we lose out on all the fun, but that we can find out about what life is truly about and live out God's kind of life. So this idea, we see this here in these verses. Verse 9 explicitly says, resist him firm in your faith. Now, basically, too, in this series, I'm, I'm trying to get at, there's, there's some philosophies, and, you know, I, I teach about this um, regularly, I think, and then sometimes, you know, I'll go on social media and I'll see people post things and Christians post things, and... And I think sometimes people fall into a worldview automatically or a philosophy of life automatically because they hear people say it and it sort of sounds good. And so they, um, they sort of adopt this um, sort of mindset. And I think this idea of resisting, resisting the enemy breaks that idea. And there's sort of two different things that I want to address today. And the first one is that people say this idea that everything happens for a reason. And then the other thing they say is sometimes they fall into negative circumstances, they go through tough times, and they will say, okay, God's allowing this on my life because he's wanting to teach me something. Now, I want to address these two philosophies. I want you to think with me. Is it okay to think in church? You should be thinking in church. You should be thinking alongside. Um, and once again, this idea, and people say this idea, well, everything happens for a reason. Sounds good. It sounds philosophical. It sounds purposeful. But if we, if we break that statement down and we actually think about what that statement is saying, specifically in the context of our relationship with God, everything happens for a reason. In other words, this would be the belief that, that God is controlling every single thing that happens on the earth. That he is this masterful puppet master and he's got all of the strings on everybody controlling every situation and every circumstance. And so if everything happens for a reason, then everything has some sort of deeper meaning attached to it. And so we go through life when things happen because we think everything happens for a reason. We have to figure out some sort of meaning because this thing happened. What does it mean? What is it that God is trying to tell me? Because we think or we believe that everything happens for a reason. And then the other side of that, and specifically within the Christian world, is this notion. Okay, um, I'm, I'm facing this. God's trying to teach me something through this. And they'll, um, you know, in, insert some sort of negative circumstance. And they will say, well, God's allowing this in my life because he's wanting me to learn something. Now, I don't know about you, but the conditions of learning in our lives, now let's think about this for a second, actually have nothing to do with good or bad. It actually has to do with the condition of your heart. Are you humble to learn? Are you, are you open to learning? Whether it's, we can learn from every situation in life. We can learn from good situations and we can learn from bad situations. We can learn from somebody just telling us something. We can learn from just reading the word of God. Or we can resist learning in all of these same contexts. So there is no guarantee just because we have a negative circumstance we're going to learn something. And I think that the scripture actually teaches us the opposite of these two ideas. And we're going to unpack some of these ideas today as we go forward. So we just don't get stuck in this philosophical mindset. Well, everything happens for a reason. And so we try to read. Listen what we try to do. We try to read God's intentions from each circumstance. Because we think that God is controlling everything. For an example, we just had a hurricane hit Mexico. And if we were to, if we were to apply these two life philosophies to this, we would then say, well, I guess this happened for a reason. There's some sort of bigger, deeper meaning that we somehow can't see, that people's lives are destroyed and, and flooding is happening and mudslides and all these different things. Or we would apply to this same, well, I guess God is trying to teach the Mexican people something. 
right? This is how the philosophy gets applied in practical ways. Well, I guess, you know, there's something that, that water is the specific teaching mechanism right now, a lot of water hitting their lives and God's trying to teach them something. Now, I know it sounds funny, but this, when we say these things, this is what it means. Because it doesn't actually mean anything to say that. It doesn't actually, it doesn't actually hold water, using water, it doesn't, and we, as we look at the scripture, it doesn't actually hold meaning either. And if we go back to our first verse, it says, resist the enemy. Resist the things that come against your life. And as we go through this series, we're going to see the things that actually don't come from God and that are enemies of our life. We mentioned the verse last week, John 10.10, about um, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I have come that you would have life and you would have it more abundantly. We have to let that idea get into our heart and actually change our mind. So we just stop saying these things, then we stop believing these things, and then we can actually resist. That this idea that, this idea that we see here in other verses we're going to look at, resist the enemy, needs to inform our thinking about life. If we believe that God is trying to teach the Mexican people something by causing a hurricane to come their way, we should call Samaritan's Purse... And say, don't go. Until we get word back from the Mexican people that they have learned the lesson they're supposed to learn from this hurricane destroying their lives. When they, once they report back that they've learned the lesson, do you see why this life philosophy doesn't actually work? It doesn't work because what do we think? What, what is our automatic response? Or what should our response be when we see something like that? Well, those people need help. Those people need help. And this is actually the thing that we see in the scripture from Jesus. That as we read, as we read two weeks ago, in Luke chapter 10, he sends out his 70 disciples. He sends about two by two. And he says, you know, go into the villages and gives them all these instructions. He says, you know, pray for... The people that are, that are sick, and, and, and then we'll read it together here. Luke 10, verse 19. It says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits have subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So this shouldn't be some big, oh my gosh, we can have authority over the enemy. It just should be sort of naturally supernatural. That we resist what comes our way from the enemy. Jesus did not say to his disciples, Okay, when you go to these cities and you find some sick people, before you pray for them, interview them and find out if they've learned what they're supposed to learn from this sickness and disease that come their way. And before you, and don't pray yet, but if they say, I've learned something, then you pray. No, he said, listen, I'm sending you out, I'm giving you power. And we, when we reference this idea of serpents and scorpions, it's a metaphor. It isn't actually them going and looking for snakes and rodents and different things, uh, unwanted physical pests in their homes. These, these two terms are representative of the enemy, that the devil is not walking down the street in, in a red suit with a pitchfork and horns. It's not what the enemy looks like, that he is actually subtle. He comes in with deception. We read about that, that he's an accuser and he's a deceiver. This idea of serpent means cunning, it means poison. Is there anything that you've ever partaken of in your life, done, made a decision to do, that ended up poisoning your life? Maybe an attitude that you had, a choice that you made, that it ended up actually worked in reverse. I thought, oh, this is going to be so exciting, this is going to be so great. And you're just like, oh, that actually didn't work. It actually poisoned my life. Serpents, uh, scorpions, it means a symbol of danger. That he informed his disciples and then he gave them authority, the scripture says, delegated influence. We read in Genesis 1 that God has given man dominion on the earth. Genesis 1.26 and this is the answer to the big other philosophical question. Why is, why is, is the world, if God is good, why is the world in the state that it's in? It's because man has dominion on the earth and man makes a lot of stupid decisions. Can I get an amen? It's not that God messed it up. We mess it up constantly. 
So God is not only uh, empowering us. Jesus said to his disciples, that includes us. I give you authority over the enemy. So what are the works of the enemy? It's, as we said, it's accusation. It's deception. Obviously, it's sickness and disease. And we're going to do a whole message on that coming up in this series. That these things that oppose your life, these things that come against your life, that, the, that Jesus is telling us, the scripture is informing us, that we should be resisting these things. Now, when we think about the things that come against our life, we, we, you know, we call them, in religious circles, we call them tests and trials, but it's really just difficulties, it's, it's hardship, uh, it's struggles, the things that we all face. And what we don't want to adopt is this attitude, well, I guess everything happens for a reason. Because then we try to get meaning from everything that happens. And once again, Jesus didn't send out his disciples and say... Okay, well, you know, I'm sending you, but, you know, there's certain things that are happening because everything happens for a reason, so don't resist this, but resist this. And then take authority over this, but don't take authority over this. And then pray for this person, but don't pray for this person. Jesus was explicit in his instructions. Paul didn't have any outs when he wrote uh, those first verses that we read. It was as, resist the enemy. He's seeking whom he may devour. And so we need to be aware of what these things are. That come against our life. And we need to feel empowered to resist them. From God's word, from Jesus' word, from the power of God. That we would not just lay back and just be, oh, I guess everything is happening for a reason. I guess God is trying to show me something based on this, that, and the other that happens to us. That he actually wants us to resist. He is empowering us. To resist these things that happen in our lives and in the lives of others. And once again, this is um, a great thing about being a part of a church family. When you are struggling with something, and and we're going to read here in a second that everybody struggles with stuff, that we can then resist together. You don't have to go through it alone. And and we won't put you down. We won't, oh, I can't believe you're going through that. Oh, I can't believe you made that choice. That we're all going to have mercy on each other. We're all going to be grace-filled toward each other. That we can actually walk through a difficult situation with somebody resisting the situation that's happening to them, Knowing that that situation is not coming from God. How do we know that? Well, let's read the scripture. Here we go. So anything that comes our way that hurts us, tests, trials, anything that confuses us, um, anything that just hurts our lives, hurts our marriage, all these different things, that these are the things that we should resist. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now let's read this together. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 says this. No trial has overtaken you that is not faced by others. Let's pause for a second. So the things that you are facing, other people have faced them. Now, I know sometimes we think we're alone and we think I've got it worse than everybody else. And sometimes that's, once again, that's another deception that we fall into. It becomes sort of a self-pity, woe is me situation. That I'm going through this and my marriage is facing this and my finances are facing this. And, uh, you know, look at the world and look at us and look at this and, and, and how all of these things are affecting you. You can be just sort of... You think that you're the center of the world and your problems are unique. But the scripture informs us here that we all face these things and they're they're faced by others. So once again, that should help us in church with our brothers and sisters when other people are facing stuff, whether, let's say it's in their marriage. You know, if somebody, a friend comes to you and says, you know, I'm struggling with this. You'd be like, oh, wow, I never struggle with that. What's wrong with you? That's not what we do. What do we do? We resist with them. We stand with them to resist the thing that's coming against their lives. Let's keep reading. No trial has overtaken you that is not faced by others. So we all face stuff. We live in this broken world. And then it says this, And God is faithful. He will not let you be tried beyond what you are able to bear. Now, a lot of people read that sentence and say this. Which it actually doesn't say, but this is what they say. God won't put more on you than you can handle. That's how people read it, and that's what people say. 
But if we read the whole of this single verse in this thought, and then let the other scriptures inform us, which we're going to read here in a second, we won't think that. No trial has overtaken that is not faced by others, and God is faithful. So what is this referring to? This God is faithful. What is it referring to? He will not let you be tried beyond what you are able. Now that word let, one of the definitions of that word let means let you alone. Leave you alone. So when we think about these verses, he will not let you be tried above what you're able, but with the trial will also provide a way out so that you may be able to endure it. So the question is, does the faithfulness of God apply to the last sentence or that middle sentence? And God is faithful. What is he faithful to do? But with the trial, he will also provide a way out. God is not schizophrenic with you. God is not putting you into something so then he can get you out of something. Jesus didn't send the disciples out with power and authority and say, well, you know, some of the, some of the things that you take authority over will come from the enemy, but some of the other things you take authority over will come from God? No, that would be God fighting against himself. Another scripture said, Jesus said, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. So let's apply that thought to this. So God is not providing the hardship and the trial and then the way of escape. There is enough hardship and trial that comes from living in this messed up crazy world. Amen. So what is he providing? What is he faithful to do? We're going through the trial. We're going through the trials that everybody else faces. It's common to man, one translation says. This is what we do. We go through hard times. God is faithful. They're not going to let you be tried beyond what you are able to bear. But with the trial, he will also provide a way out. God is providing a way out for you. He's providing a way out. He wants you to resist it. It does not come from him. Never has, never will. God is holy, only good. Holy, only good. He's faithful. He's providing you a way of escape. It's another way to say resist the thing that's coming your way. James chapter 1 further says, let's read this. This will also help us to understand this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Steadfast, that you don't quit. This is what trials are intended to do when you, when you face something that's difficult. What does it feel like sometimes when it gets really hard? What do you want to do? You just want to quit. Man, I just, I tried this and I tried this and it doesn't work and I tried this and I tried it and it doesn't work and I'm going through this and I'm going through this. All of these things that come our way, they're designed to get you to stop, to quit. To become useless in life. This is what the enemy is after. He's after your purposes. Your God-given purposes in life. So what are we supposed to do? The person... Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. In other words, we're not going to give up. So we can help one another with this. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Listen now. Listen Listen to these verses. Which does away with the two life philosophies that I already mentioned, okay? Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Let's not say it. Let's not even say it. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, let no man say when I am tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Tempt, test, trial. It's all the same word. It's all the same idea. So God is not doing it. Do we see? Is that clear enough for everybody? For God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. Why? Because the stuff that's coming against you is designed to get you to quit. It's evil. It's from the enemy. We should resist it. It does not come from God. 
But each person, here now here's the, the source of it, but each person is tempted when he is lured away enticed by his own desire, his own desire. Then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. And we know that's true. That's not new information for us. But what, what is, what, what needs to break into our mind so that we don't think, well, I guess this is happening for a reason, and I guess God is trying to teach me. Listen, Yes, God is trying to teach us stuff all the time. He's given us His Word. He's given us Jesus. That Jesus is the express will of God. That we're supposed to look at and learn from Jesus, not our circumstances. Not to try to gain some philosophical understanding about God's will for my life, looking at negative things that are happening to me. I'm supposed to look at Jesus. And what did Jesus do? What did he say to his disciples? He says, listen, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. We don't need authority over God's power because God is good. He's not trying to hurt us. He has redeemed our life. He has blessed our life. He is our Savior. Why would God reveal himself to us through Jesus and saying he is our Savior, that he's saving us from sin, that he's saving us from sickness and disease, and then turn around and inflict us with all those things that he just put on Jesus? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't go together. So let's not say, let's not buy into this idea. Oh, that I guess God is just trying to teach me something through this thing. Yes, God is trying to teach you something from His Word, through Jesus. All of the time, He's called us to be disciples. We should be learners. We should be learning all of the time. But we're not going to look at these things and like, Oh, God is trying to teach me something. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know, and we sang about this earlier, that... For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. All things. So that God can take the situations, and we see this in the book of Genesis from the story of Joseph, that the enemy intends things to hurt you, to damage you. And what does God do? God takes those things and He turns them. He redeems situations. He turns situations around. So that they work together for good. But God is not giving us the negative and then taking that negative and flipping it around and saying, okay, now, do you get why that would be a kingdom divided against itself? Is anybody, are you guys with me this morning? God is not playing both sides of the fence, okay? God is a leaf fan and a leaf fan only. God will never be on the side of the Montreal Canadiens. You know what I'm saying? This is the ultimate good and evil in our world today. He's never putting on a red Habs hat. And just because evil temporarily won last night does not mean that it ultimately... No, but I use that. You see, God is not, God is not double-minded. He's not telling us to not be double-minded. And then somehow he's double-minded with you. Some days he's bringing bad stuff because he wants you to learn something and then he's going to take that thing. Why, why would we think that the devil and God are changing places at any moment? God always has opposed the works of the enemy. And so he's trying to inform our life so that we will resist. That we just won't lay down and say, well, I guess everything happens for a reason. No, no, we resist the things that come against our life. We resist the things that come against our marriage and our finances and our body. God empowers us to do so. It's not... We shouldn't be having God double-minded. He's not double-minded. He is only holy good. And He's good to you. He is for you. So He redeems those. So all these things work together. How? Because God is a redeemer of situations. 
He turns situations. Things come our way and He redeems that. He brings the good to the bad situation. Do you see that? He's not bringing the bad and then turning it for good. He is on the good side. He is for you. Simple illustration. And it talks about, uh, in, in the book of Luke, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Is there any parent in their right mind that would cause their child to be sick? Naturally, you know, parents, when something attaches itself to your child, you resist it. Don't you? You resist it. Why? This child that I love, that I care for, something is coming against their life. What do you do? You come against it. You resist the thing that comes against your child. You, you pray for them. You go to the doctor. You get any medicine that's out there. You try to do anything in your power to resist it. How much more does your heavenly Father who loves you with a love that's greater than the love that we have for your children, what is he doing by sending Jesus to the cross to be a substitute for you so that you can experience the life of God? Let's let that sink into our hearts and our minds so that we resist. We resist. We don't lay down and we don't say, I guess God's trying to teach me something. I guess everything happens for a reason. No, this thing that's coming against me, this thing that's coming against my friends. We resist it. We come against it. I'm going to stand with you against this thing. This thing that's coming against your life, we're friends. Let's resist. Amen. Excited this morning. <laughs> Pastorally, we've never, no one's ever come to us, and no pastor in their right mind. I'm just telling you, this is why this doesn't, the, the, the philosophy doesn't hold water. Nobody calls and says, hey, or emails us, or comes to the front and says, hey, will you pray for me? Well, no, I'm not sure if I can pray for you, because maybe God's trying to do something to you. I don't know. We don't say that. It's stupid. What do we do? We resist. We pray for that person because we know the thing that's trying to destroy that person's life, marriage, family, finances, is not from God. So we have to get strong and just not be going through life with this weird mindset. It's a weird mindset. Just thinking that God is like orchestrating bad things in your life. It just doesn't hold water with what Jesus told his disciples. Resist the enemy. I give you authority. Now what we don't want to do with these things as it comes to resisting the enemy is that we don't want to become superstitious. Okay? Now let me talk for a minute about superstition and how, how would it happen in the Christian context. And we're going to read a story here about it in a second. Um... Superstition, or even borrowed practices, let's say, or people believe certain things. I, m- I remember a couple years ago, was, we were at our old building, and somebody was coming down the stairs, and they tripped about halfway down the stairs, but then they regained their balance. And I was there, and they, and they, and, you know, I was glad that they had caught themselves. And I'm like, "Whoa, you can't get hurt in church." I'm like, what? What do you mean? I don't even know what that means. I'm pretty sure gravity is the same in this building as every other building. And they just, it just becomes... Uh, it, it moves away from something that's true and powerful and it moves to just superstition. I'm going to put it in, in that category. Um, and we see superstition in movies, you know, like... Um, and we're going to read about this here. You know, anytime you see in, in movies, whether some representative of the devil, whether it's vampires or werewolves or cats, um, <laughs> in general, that they have these, these, what are these superstitious things? What are they? They're 
a lot of times they're, what are they, crosses, right? They're going to take, you know, it's a stake in the heart or it's silver bullets or it's cutting off their head. Depending on which movie you're watching, there's different rules for different movies. But one of those things, one of those things is a cross. That they're going to show a cross to whatever, the, the vampire, and then somehow the cross is going to do the work. Now what Jesus has done on the cross has done the work. But a cross, there's nothing, there's no power in a cross. There's power in you, given by God through Jesus. So it would be of no value to hold up a cross to anything. And I, hopefully I'm not destroying anybody's faith right now. <laughs> or, or, or uh, and I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to come against anybody's background, but there's, there's, there's no such thing as holy water. Like, I, I, I can bless, it's not going to do anything. It's just water. But there's power in you, given to you by Jesus. And let me, let me give you another superstition from my own background. I'll call it a superstition. Babe, or Avery, you come and help me. She loves to be on the stage. This is going to be fun. It's my 16-year-old daughter who loves me right now. Okay, from my own background, praying, that's good. When you, when you prayed for people, this is the way you had to pray for them, okay? And if you didn't pray this way, you weren't really paying, you weren't really filled with the Holy Ghost, you didn't believe in blah, blah, blah. Okay, this is the way you had to pray. Are you ready? You had to do this. Stance. Scripture says to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It says no mention of the head or the shoulder. And this, having to pray like this, is just as superstitious as trying to hold up a cross to somebody and say, you have to do this. If you don't do this, that's not actually... You, you see what I'm saying? It all, what, any, any of these things in our life can be... What if you pray for somebody like this? What if you pray for somebody like this? Is this not... Laying on of hands? It doesn't have to be. Thanks, babe. Let's give Avery a hand. So all of the things we do, listen, in any Christian context can add to superstition and they become superstitious that I have to do this and I have to, listen, I've heard it said to my face, you have to wear these clothes and you have to sing these songs, you got to do this. I'm telling you, it's superstition. It has nothing to do with the power of Christ. That God has empowered you to resist the enemy, regardless if you put your praying hand on their head, what time in the service, what songs are being sung, whether it's even in the church building or not. That God's Power works because of Jesus and not because of a thousand other superstitions that we have. It's because of Jesus that you can resist the enemy. So here's some superstitious guys. In Acts chapter 19 verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. Listen now. Then some itinerant Jewish exorcists. Now you've all heard this word exorcist. Someone that's going to cast the devil out of people. God, the, the scripture never refers to any valid ministry as this, exorcist. So if you hear of someone's an exorcist, don't believe it, okay? They undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. So they had, these exorcists would be called and invoked and they would ask and they would do whatever their things are, their incantations and their superstitions. And so they heard that Paul was having success in the name of Jesus. That he was, that something 
he was praying and ministering in the name of Jesus. And so what did they do? So these itinerant exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had the evil spirits. This is what they said. I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. You see what they had? They had borrowed methodology from Paul. Oh, Paul did this, so we're going to do it. We're going to, I adjure you by Jesus who Paul preaches. So there was no, there was no, it was not meaningful for them. It was just been handed to them or they saw something or they heard about something. And listen to what happens. Um, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. So this was a Jewish high priest. They had seven sons and this is what their, this was now their practice. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize. But who are you? <laughs> Why? Because they had superstition. They, they, there was no power in what they were doing. And the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on them, mas mastered all of them and overpowered them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So their superstition didn't work. And they even said the name of Jesus. Are you here this morning? They even said, in, Jesus, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. So that we can take these things, even the name of Jesus, and we can just make it superstitious. Let me give you an example. How? That if you are looking for a job, some people say, well, I thank you, Lord, for a new job. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And then they sit on their sofa with their remote control. They say, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for God to move. I'm just waiting for God to move. Superstition. I'm telling you, that's superstition. Even though you're using the name of Jesus. So what we don't want to be is superstitious. But we want to know that we are empowered by Jesus. Who wants us to resist. So how do we practically resist? Does anyone want to know? Let's look at a few things today. In James chapter 3. James chapter 3. So how are we going to resist? Here we go. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his good works in the meekness of wisdom. But listen. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above. But it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So we want to recognize these things in our lives, maybe in our attitudes and our actions, and then not be a part of them, obviously. We don't want to be um, bitter, jealous. Bitter jealousy. If we're jealous about someone else's life. What is happening? Subtly, the enemy is deceiving you to think their life is better. If I just had their life, their finances, their spouse, their house, their situation, and you get stuck in bitter jealousy. We need to be aware of these things and resist them. Forget about someone else. In our own lives, that we won't be bitter and we won't be jealous. Selfish ambition, that we will just be aware of selfishness in our lives. Do not boast and be, be arrogant and be, be liars, false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So that we would be aware of these things, whether they show up in our home or on the job in our lives, in our hearts, and we would resist. Not lay down to and just say, well, I guess it's just part of my personality, or I guess this is just how I think, that we would resist these things. But listen, verse 17, but wisdom that is from above is, is first pure, then peaceable. Now listen, this is, these are the things that we want. And these are the things that resist the enemy. Living out these things. 
But the wisdom that is from above, the wisdom that's from God, it's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. It's not a borrowed practice. It's not a superstition. It's just genuine. That God has empowered me to resist these things and then I can live out these other things. Now listen, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now we could spend time on all of those things mentioned. But a great indicator for us is when things come against Peace in our heart. Where things are, are when we're, we're just always oh, just confused, and I, I don't understand this, and I don't understand why, and it's just oh, we need to be aware of those things. It's a subtle deception of the enemy, but God is a God of peace. God is a God of peace. So what can I do? When things come my way, when things are experienced in my relationships, that I can be a peacemaker. That I can bring peace. Why, why can I bring peace? Is because I'm so great and I'm so awesome? No, that God has given me His peace. And I don't have to struggle and, uh, and this. Uh, and what about this? But I can have peace in the midst of a trial and in the midst of the storm. Why? Because God is a God of peace. And peace resists the enemy. Why? Because it's from above. No, I'm not saying we shouldn't use the name of Jesus. We should use the name of Jesus and we should know that we are in Christ. Any authority and power that we have has come from Christ, not from our own goodness. But we don't use the, the words in Jesus' name like a talisman or a cross to a vampire. It's, it brings us security in our relationship with God, knowing that I stand righteous before God in Christ. In Him. And there's power there. There's authority there that I can resist the enemy. Last section of verses, Barbara, you can come on up. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Be strong in the Lord. And I, I can't say enough about church as it relates to the family of God. And how... There are times when you, you might be weak or I might be weak. But together, one of us can borrow strength from the other. And we read this verse and we say, finally be strong in the Lord. And you're, maybe you showed up today and you're like, I, I, I want that, but I'm not even sure if I feel that. I'm not even sure what that looks like right now for me. Because this is happening and this is going on and this thing is happening. And this thing is happening in my marriage. And this thing is going on in my body. And so together, we can make a difference in each other's lives. And together, we can borrow strength from one another when we need it. Because when I'm down, maybe you are up. Or when you're down, maybe I can be up and I can help you and bless you and pray for you. And say to you, you know what? It's not going to stay like this. Together, we're going to resist. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. His might, not my own. His might, not my own. His righteousness, not my own. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Not the double-mindedness of God, supposed. Not some things that come from the enemy and some things that God is intending for you. But that you can stand against what? The schemes of the devil. Verse 12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, so people aren't our problem. But against the rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of the evil in heavenly places. So don't, so there's verse 12. Well, let's talk about verse 12. Let's talk about the enemy. And what does all of that mean? And what's the hierarchy of the devil and the demons? I don't care. I don't care. I don't care about the power of the enemy because we have the power of Jesus. Why would I spend time worrying about the devil's power? It is under the feet of Jesus who has given us authority. Because then he says, therefore, this is the next word. Here's all these powers of the enemy. But therefore, what are we going to do? Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand, to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness as the shoes for your feet are having put on the readiness given the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of who? The evil one. Are there any flaming darts coming at you from God? No. The things that are trying to get you off track, the things that are trying to get you to quit, the things that are trying to stumble up your life, they are not from God. God is empowering you to stand against them. Stand against them and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is written. Remember Jesus, how we overcame? How did he overcome? It is written. There's a lot there about standing and withstanding and holding on and don't give up. You've got the armor of God, it is bigger than all the power of the enemy. And together, we can stand. Together, we can withstand. Because of our own awesomeness. Because of our own religious practices. Because we do it right here at our church and every other church is an idiot. No, it is because of Jesus. I can withstand. And I can stand in the evil day. And I can stand against the things that are coming my way. Because of what Christ has done. Let's just pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word today. That you want us to... Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.